0: Hello everyone. We have a very, very special guest in the studio today. Her name is Elizabeth Mokowitz, and I hope also I'm pronouncing her name right. But um, hopefully, she received my message to call in. The topic is from prison to purpose with artist Elizabeth Mokowitz. Mock- um, her bio is that she five years ago was painting murals in a federal as a federal inmate and um now had her own has her own arches and launched an environmentally friendly clothing brand based on her art prison had opened her eyes to the systematic racism cruelty corruption and inequality in this country she says that she um, now has tried to expose what she had witnessed and endured to legislation. She also has created the women's clothing brand that also comes in plus sizes during her healing journey and she wants to help people from all walks of life to do the same. She says she's editing stages of her memoir. Oh, I can't wait to read it. And she's also creating an adult coloring book based on PTSD and what she's learned. From her own trauma okay and also you are um, welcome to go to her website of course it's uh, called legislate uh, legisl- wait let legal sorry legal stir legal stay I think that's how you pronounce it it's L E capital L E G A L E-R-I-S-T-E dot com forward slash E-N forward slash Elizabeth dot Mikotowicz, which is M-I-K-O-T-O-W-I-C-Z. And this link is to her environmentally friendly clothing brand. It's called E-P-M Clothing. She says that she has painted, Elizabeth has painted all the designs, and it can be ordered in plus sizes made in Canada. Hey, Canada. Her mission, excuse me, uh, with this brand is to empower anyone who identifies with the divine feminine and empower them with confidence and inner strength. And then she says that she has painted all of these during her own healing journey. Oh my God, I can't wait to go and um, purchase some for myself because I too am an artist. So I definitely believe in supporting our art community. Let me see. Um, one moment, everybody. Let me see if I can find our magnificent guest here um, to make sure she's able to be here with us. Cause if not, we just reschedule um, because I'm really going to make time to have Elizabeth on the show all right okay let me see let me see she may already let me check no not yet okay Um. I'll ask her. She can just send over her phone number to me, and I'll call her. Okay. So, you know what? Um, I'll wait about 10 more minutes. Okay. Anyway, uh, I think it's super important to listen to all stories about the uh, injustices, unfortunately, that happen within our country and see in what ways that we can actually um, make things better. And so um, we have an activist here and here's Elizabeth, actually. Okay. So hold on, everyone. <clears throat> hi hi Elizabeth welcome hi. <laughs> thank you for having me it's such a pleasure I mean, you have such a powerful story and I absolutely wanted to share it with my listeners okay and oh, um, absolutely admire your activism and um, I just feel so, so pleased to have you here. So I do, you're welcome, by the way. And uh, I do want to go ahead and get into our interview right now so that the audience can learn about you. Okay? Absolutely. So, yes. So how did you become an addict? Well, um, you
1: know, I grew up in a decent family like there was a lot of love and a lot of support and they both had good jobs middle class you know i grew up in a big house with a big yard i was loved had all my needs fulfilled and they were really great people but once i started dating you know in my 20s i got in a, a really bad domestic violence relationship and <laughs> He assaulted me to the point where my skull was showing on you know one of the first times he assaulted me like it it wasn't there was no build up it was just like you know that's it i'm in the hospital like they're sewing the muscle back together they're sewing the skin back together and i started getting seizures and um they prescribed me opioids and um they told me i'd be on i was on too small of a dose to get addicted so i shouldn't worry and you know now we know that this was like 15 years ago, so they were still you know big pharma was pushing their pushing their product and you know lying to everybody. And um, so I tried to refuse it, and I found out I was pregnant. You know when I went to the hospital for that injury, and so um, because my blood pressure kept skyrocketing, they said that that was putting my baby in danger. And if I refused, then that would re- that could result in a call to Child Protective Services for, you know, refusing, you know, medical advice. So I I, I took it, and you know. Um, had had a lot of seizures and that was really scary and I was I was going like deaf and blind for moments at a time and you know after I gave birth to my son you know the abuse got worse and I wasn't pregnant anymore so I was like well you know I don't have to worry about you know harming a baby by you know doing more and so you know you just start doing more and You know, it it really helped with the trauma, too. Like, I was a nervous wreck. I had never experienced panic attacks before and, you know, until, like, all this started happening to me. And um, eventually, I went to Bruce Run, which is a battered women's shelter, and Mm -hmm. they turned me away with two beds open after talking with police, and they said that my injuries were um too severe and um my situation was too dangerous and it put the other women in the shelter in danger so they had two beds open and the one of the girls that got the bed the guy didn't even hit her he just kicked her car and that is domestic violence absolutely destroying property you know yes it is but compared to my situation and they're telling me like no we're not going to help you so you know i was desperate and scared. And I, I, I made a deal with my father. Um, you know, he said, look, you, you're, you're, you're having, you know, seizures and, you know, you can't really take care of your kids right now. Anyway, if they can't help you find a place to live or get into a shelter or get a voucher, then, you know, you need to sign temporary guardianship over because, you know, if my ex were to show up with the cops, my dad would have to hand my kids over. And then I would have to go through the nightmare of." You know, trying to get them back, you know, and um, so, you know, drug dealers ended up helping me um, because once I signed my kids over, I lost my health insurance. So there was, you know, there was no going to rehab. There was, you know, no financial aid, you know, to get me in a new housing. You know, I lost all of it because my kids, you know, weren't under my care. And... Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was just, it was really hard, it was really awful, um, but drug dealers you know, ended up helping me, giving me places to hide, you know, giving me work and, you know, you, you know, or they took advantage, you know, I, I, I kind of look at it both ways, like, you know, they gave me places to hide so I could get away from this man, but at the same time, they were taking advantage of me, you know, getting me into a life I never wanted and, you know, beating my addiction and, uh, you know, Breaking the law now, and eventually I caught drug charges and went to prison
0: okay, all right, so then what is prison, what was prison like
1: Well, um I spent sixteen months in the county jail waiting to get sentenced, and you know jail is it's very oppressive and it's very systemically uh, racially, you know, oppressive. And, you know, they, like, for instance, Mm -hmm. a hospital saves $350,000 a year contracting their linen to be washed by inmates so that they don't have to pay regular Americans, you know, a minimum wage, let alone a living wage, just a minimum wage. Like they don't want to pay us that anymore either. So, you know, you're demonizing different groups of people for different reasons, you know, mental health, Mm -hmm. you know, Race, whatever, you know, any, anything and you're, you're just putting them in, you know, a place where they're not treated right. They're given a number and the guards are very abusive and, you know, especially a women. They're yeah. they're just, they're awful. Like, for instance, my first week at Somerset County, I witnessed an entire pod of women get stripped out because they signed up for a razor, and a male sergeant wanted a list of who shaved their vaginas and who didn't. Like, and those huh. that did were punished. Like, that's the kind of treatment, and that's the PG stuff that goes on in there. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. if they get really quite violent with, with people, you know, for no reason. I watched them break a girl's arm because she asked what she did wrong to get hauled to solitary. Like they told her, you know, cuff up, we're taking you to solitary. All she did was, why am I going to solitary? What did I do? And they said, Oh, you're resisting. And then they pushed her up against the wall and yeah, you just watched her collarbone pop right out of place. It was awful. Like, and you have to watch this stuff and there's nothing you can do. And if you fight back, it's five years.
0: Wow. And then and then how I'm sorry too. How, how did you maintain your sobriety in the last five years?
1: Well, um, I got really lucky because Janet Mills became the governor and, you know, Paula Page he was he's just, you know, conservative, awful like for instance he got on T V uh and said, um all these, uh, all these drug dealers from the hood are coming up and impregnating our white women. He's talking about like black people, and <laughs> he's saying that they're they're flooding our streets and all that stuff. When in reality, like they wouldn't be coming up here if you know a bunch of white drug addicts and drug dealers and confidential informants working for the police weren't going down to get them. So. He was, he, he had cut all, you know, uh, medical insurance and public funding for pretty much everything. So, like, nobody had health insurance then. And so, when Janet Mills took over... You know, it was just we were so lucky because she expanded Medicare and I was finally able to, you know, get properly medicated and, you know, get therapy and continue counseling and, you know, continue with, you know, my recovery. When before there was just no help. It was, you know, you couldn't even get your medication. When I got out of prison, you know, I went to the pharmacy. There was. $1,300 $1,300 worth of medications the prison had me on, and I had no way to pay for it. I didn't have a place to live. I didn't have a job, and, you know, I spiraled. I I, my, I relapsed again because, you know, these psych meds, you know, you detox mentally, physically, mm-hmm. and, you know, some of those psych meds can kill you. Like, your heart can stop. Like, lithium, for example, like if you just stop taking that, your heart can stop and you can die. Like, they're very dangerous. So, what happens is inmates will be let out and they they run out of their medication. They might give them a month's supply, but there's, you know, most states, there's no way to get, you know, your prescriptions paid for. And, you know, we all know how big pharma loves to jack their prices up. So, I mean, just... <laughs> You know, that's, that's what happens. That's why so many people end up relapsing right off the bat. You know, never mind that it's completely traumatizing to go from prison to society. Your brain's been completely rewired and, you know, it's very odd, you know, like we as women, we weren't around men, you know, that weren't in a position of authority and power over us that, you know, were essentially oppressive you know not all of them were cruel and abusive but you know they're all in a position of power over us right, where you know mm-hmm. at the end of the day we're helpless mm-hmm. and so it's very odd you know coming back out and having to get used to be around men again
0: yes yes and then um what is pray or p r e a oh priya
1: yeah that's priya stands thank for- you <laughs> Yeah, that stands for the Prison Rape Elimination Act, so um when I was at Somerset County, that was the same county that stripped those women out. I wasn't one that got stripped out that time because I didn't sign up for a razor. When they put me in solitary, they have illegal cameras in um their solitary uh unit um cells, mm-hmm. and like in the in the state of Maine, you are not by law, you cannot have a camera inside of a cell where an inmate's going to the bathroom and sleeping, you're just not allowed to do it for good reason. And they have these cameras in there, but when they put me in there, they're like, you need to strip. And I'm like, I'm not stripping in front of this camera for your cops to watch me. Like I'm not doing it. And then I was threatened with, you know, a SWAT team. They threatened to extract me and they, they literally come in, you know, 10 deep, all suited up in, you know, SWAT gear, with electric shock shields, you know, mace, baton, they have gas, like these gas cans that are scientifically designed to take the oxygen out of your lungs. And it's not like, I've never had been in a cell that's been gas, but it doesn't matter. If one cell is getting gas, they all are, because of the vent system. So when one person makes them mad, everybody's punished everybody's abused everybody is traumatized and you know this becomes you know the norm every day and um, yeah. so when I was in solitary they they made me strip and when I got to Alderson in prison, I filed a priya complaint So priya is like any anything sexual of a sexual nature whether it's you know, sexual harassment or rape or anything like that, it goes under Priya. And an outside source is supposed to come and interview the inmates. That never happened with um, at Somerset. Um, I had an officer pulling my pants open, asking me if I was wearing underwear, exposing me to other inmates. And no one ever came and talked to me. I, I submitted a complaint because I'm like, listen, I have really bad PTSD. Like, she grabs me like that again. Like, I'm not going to... I might not have control over my reactions, and I don't want to get five years, like, this isn't fair, and, you know, no one ever came and talked to me, Um, just the lieutenant, and, like, that officer did get in trouble for it, but, you know, like, still, they weren't following proper protocol, and that's what they do to cover the abuse up. They'll invest, they'll say they investigate it themselves and then it won't, they won't allow it to go any higher and then they won't give you the paperwork. So when I was at Alderson, I filed the Priya against Somerset County for forcing me to strip in front of those cameras because it caused me to have, um to have a really bad like PTSD, like kind of mental breakdown because my ex used to trap me in the bathroom and like make me strip and literally torture me for hours. That was the same guy that gave me the head injury. Like he was just sadistic. And, you know, like, I remember that would start with me like begging for begging for my life. And then it would end with me like begging him to kill me. Like, please just get over with. Like that's how bad it was. And so this, put me back to that place and I started hallucinating that I was like back in my old apartment, you know, being held hostage by him. So I really kind of had this psychological break because of what they did. They also had me on the wrong medication. Um, they, they were giving me antidepressants and, um, I'm actually a high functioning autistic and it can make, Uh. if, if you're not actually depressed, it can put you into, you know, psychosis. It can make you suicidal. It can make you homicidal like these medicines can can be very, very dangerous if you're, if they're giving you, you know, the wrong one for the wrong diagnosis. And people really don't understand that, you know, they just think, Oh, I'm going to take a pill and I'm going to feel better. Like, no, it can be very, very dangerous and really, really scary. And, um, So, I filed a PREA at Alderson, and when Alderson got the response back, Alderson wouldn't even let me hold it. They read me the response from Somerset County, and Somerset County admitted to everything everything I was complaining about, and then they basically deemed it unfounded. They basically said, yep, we did it. What about it? We didn't do anything wrong. Like, so they deemed it unfounded so it wouldn't go any higher. And that's another way they bury it. They'll like, they'll admit it, but they'll deem it unfounded. Like, yeah, basically it's okay. And it won't go any higher. Nobody else will look at it. And that's it, they just bury it. So Alderson wouldn't give me the paperwork. I asked for a copy, I asked to send it home. They said, no, we don't do that. And so that prevented me from filing a complaint when I got out. Because, you know, you have a hundred days to file a complaint about something when you get out of jail. But if you don't have the paperwork to prove that you went up the proper chain of command, they can't do anything. So this is how they're burying all this abuse in prison and it's destroying people. And, you know, I got a lawyer and everything when I got out and, Somerset County told me to subpoena, have a lawyer subpoena it. Well, you can't subpoena paperwork without an open case and you can't open a case without the paperwork. So this this, it's just very corrupt, and, you know, they know these little loopholes, and that's why I'm working with legislation to get, you know, a law on the table that holds these facilities, you know, like $500 a day or something, for every day they stonewall an inmate and not give them their paperwork. And this is even worse. So when Alderson, they refused to give me the paperwork. After I got out, the captain and four of his subordinates, all got arrested and convicted for raping and stalking inmates and tampering with Priya evidence. Like they didn't do it just to me. They destroyed the Priya evidence, you know, all across the board, like for, and they, they, I didn't even, I didn't even know this was going on when I was there. I, I like, I kind of kept to myself. Um, but yeah, the captain got 10 years for raping multiple inmates and it was like over uh, a dozen girls forward and, you know, it was just awful, and, you know, I guess I can't say I didn't, I had an idea something was going on, but I didn't know for sure, like, there were a couple girls in my unit, sometimes they would just come back at weird hours, and they would be completely shook, they'd go in the shower, and just, you could hear them sobbing, and, you know, in, in prison, like, if you see somebody upset, you know, it's kind of just proper etiquette to just leave them alone, and, you know, unless they want to talk like that, you just you don't ask questions, you don't pry. Like, it's a different etiquette in there.
0: Yes, and then um, people assume inmates get three free meals and medical treatment. How accurate is this?
1: <laughs> That's not very accurate at all. I watch so many women die of, you know, very treatable. Things like, um, Mm -hmm. for instance, we we work forty hours for five dollars and twenty-five cents a month in the feds. So we're getting Mm -hmm. pennies a day, literally. This one girl and I was at a camp, so there aren't even fences holding us in. Like we are low security, you know, non-violent women. You know, Mm -hmm. most of them are white collar. You know, whatever. It's like nobody's a killer there or anything like that. And. Mm -hmm this girl broke her leg shoveling the snow. By the time they took her to the hospital, they had, they had to re-break her leg because it had, the bone had already fused back together. Like they wow. let people go. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many women I watched die of cancer because they would not get them tested. They would not, they, they only take you to an outside facility if you're going to die. So you can imagine a lot of illnesses, you know, are way worse than they have to be because they just don't check people. They don't do anything for them. This one girl, she had a tumor um, in her intestines, rectum area, and she had blood pouring out of her into her shoes and they would not take her. By the time they brought her, she had three months to live. They turned her three uh-huh. years sentence into a death sentence. Like the, the medical, oh my God. No, they no. I've watched women's appendix first, you know, their gallbladder go bad and it goes septic because they don't want to take any any precaution, any health care precautions for these women. And it's yeah. terrifying if you think you're sick. Like <laughs> The common joke is, you know, that you turn into a hypochondriac because you know you're going, you're not going to get adequate medical attention. I mean, even the nurse in there was like, I would send my child to a witch doctor before I sent them here with these people.
0: Yeah. And then how has the trauma impacted your mental health?
1: Well, I mean, I don't leave my house. I'm terrified of cops. Um Oh yeah, and the food the food comes in boxes that literally says not for human consumption on the side of it. It's really bad. It's really cheap. Um, a lot of it's not even edible. Um, I, I mean, people get sick. You get moldy bread all the time. Like it's you know, there's a couple places like rural jails that will grow their own food and, you know, bring chefs in because it's not a very big inmate population. But the second you start getting hundred over like hundred or so of inmates, you know, they're they're cutting every corner. They are, you know, they don't want inmates to have anything. I remember when they cut salt at Penobscot County because it saved them four hundred dollars a year. They cut salt out of the inmates' meal. Like you can't even get them salt. Like it's it's so petty and just disgusting and I mean dogs eat better than inmates do. Yes. Well, you and can then, buy commissary. Um, you you can buy commissary, <laughs> but they don't have like a lot to choose from and you know, like for instance a packet of ramen noodles that costs what like 20 cents on the outside it costs a dollar 50 in there and we're only making five dollars and 25 cents a month quadruple the prices like they make money off of everything they can like that's what prison is they're they're already making over a hundred dollars a day in taxpayers money on you know inmates per inmate and they're not doing anything for them i mean women can't even get tampons unless you want to pay triple the price they have these cheap little pads that, you know, you have to wear, like, four of them. Women will try to make their own tampons and end up getting infections. Like, it's really bad. Um, we just passed a law in Maine mandating all jails provide tampons and pads free of charge for women. So that, that was a victory. But
0: <laughs> Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, Absolutely. Yeah.
1: yeah, the trauma is, it's it's... You know, I I'm on a healing journey and I probably will be for the rest of my life, but every time I see a cop or, you know, anything like that, I I get nervous. It's like I flip a coin in my head, you know, is this guy a sociopath or not? <laughs> and and the women too. Like, you know, it's just the men, the women will too. And like I still have crazy dreams. Like the common prison dream is, you know, you're walking down the block and you're about to get out, and then you get out, and then you're walking down the street, and then all of a sudden the houses turn back into cells, and you're like trying to get out again, and it's like the same cycle over. It's 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 pretty terrifying. Um, or like I'll have dreams where, you know, guards will be hurting me or hurting someone I care about and I can't get out and I can't get to them. Um, I don't really leave my house a lot, like unless if I have to. I'm very much a recluse now. And, you know, people, most people I know that have spent some time in prison, that's kind of how they are now too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sorry to hear about this. And then why does – why do you think that uh, America, land of the free, has the yeah. highest rate of incarceration?
1: Because it's a free workforce for them. I mean, over mm-hmm. the pandemic, all these jails were um, taking PPP loans uh, to expand their prisons and, you know, get more beds in. That's, <laughs> and now they're trying to criminalize homelessness. This is a free workforce. All these corporations will get free workers and they don't have to pay them a, a minimum wage. These these millionaires and these corporations are so cheap and so greedy. They don't even want to pay us minimum wage, let alone a livable wage. And you know, it's easy just to group them all up and, you know, blat- demonize them and name them as a problem and, you know, throw them away. I mean, they, they were packing so many inmates, and in. um, there's something called the bus stop in the feds where you have all of these extra bunks in front of the cubes, which is basically like cells. They just don't, you know, have a door. Um, <laughs> there, it was a fire hazard to have that many inmates in the room, but one inmate will pay for that fine, you know, 10 times over in a matter of a couple months. They're getting over a hundred dollars a day per inmate, and you know another scam in the feds. And I hope people are paying attention because this is where their taxpayers' money is going to. Um, if you don't have your GED, you you're you're mandated to take the GED. That's great if you don't have a high school diploma or a GED. But what was happening is they were getting two thousand dollars you know, per inmate that was enrolled in the GED, then they get like another $2,000 when they graduate. So, the the caseworkers are supposed to get, you know, the high school uh, diploma certificate, you know, to prove, prove that. They won't, though. And it's already in people's PSI and paperwork that they graduate, that they went through high school, if they went to college, you know, whatever. So they have all these women with bachelor's degrees, college degrees, you know, they've, mm-hmm. they've gone above and beyond doctorates, and they're being forced to take the GED because they can't get a copy of their high school diploma from prison. So it's just free money to them. Wow. I mean, that's all yeah. prison is, is one big money pit.
0: Yeah. makes sense that makes absolute sense what you're saying and i've never heard that before so um i really really want to thank you so very much for this enlightening conversation and um i also i i did if you don't mind um i have a few minutes i did want to get into you being an artist too um, <laughs> yeah. like, like how long? Yeah. Cause I, I'm an artist as well. And, um, oh, I, I was awesome. so, yes. And, and I'm definitely in the mental health community. I have, de- I have anxiety and depression from, from some trauma that I experienced in my life as well. And so oh, that says like, I, I, yeah. So I, I'm listening to you and I'm like, Oh, I understand, you know? And so yeah. I, I, I uh, and I'm definitely going to uh, uh, buy your clothing too, your clothing brand. Did you? Could you please get into that a little bit for me? You're welcome. Absolutely. Um, So um, yes,
1: I'm. I'm actually creating an adult coloring book for trauma. Um, So when I was in the county. my mother sent me these books called Zen Tangle Books, and it's kind of like this meditative art. You don't have to be naturally talented or some great artist. Like, it is really for everybody, and it's just these little doodles and little designs, and there's a certain way you do it, and there's, um, it's just very relaxing. And that's what I did in County to, like, kind of distract myself from the trauma and help me with the flashbacks mm-hmm. and everything else. So I'm creating a coloring book, and I'm putting – some of my coping mechanisms in that book as well. And what I've learned about trauma and because if you don't understand what's happening to your brain, like you don't know why you're having these reactions and you know, what's really happening to you. And I think that made it all that much worse when I didn't understand what was happening to me and why. And um, so I also painted murals, um, I did it in Somerset County, but when I got to Danbury, I actually got paid for it and it was one of the highest paying jobs in the prison. I got paid $58 a month to paint murals <laughs> and it was, it was just really, I was really happy. I got to do that because um, she let me paint whatever I want and. um I got to put some really cool stuff on the walls. I call it my blue period because they only allowed me to paint with blue. And, of course, I have black <laughs> and black you know, to shade with it. But, you know, it, it was cool. So it was kind of like uh, Picasso or which I can't remember which artist
0: uh, did that. Yeah, but they had it's blue Picasso. Period.
1: Yeah, he went through the oh, blue period. Cool, great, That's right.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So I Excellent. continued painting when I got out, and I had a couple art shows in the community. One was during Addiction Awareness Month, um, yes. like during the pandemic. And then I joined the Bangor Art Society, and um, I started doing shows with them. And then I found this amazing company called The Gallery from Canada, and they uh-huh. take artists and you can turn your art into this environmentally friendly clothing brand and it's very feminine and it's very well made and it also comes in plus sizes which is so cool because I'm I'm all about inclusivity and you know just including everybody and equality and all that stuff so I was like really
0: happy that you know they had plus sizes Excellent, excellent. Thank you so much. Um, again, I want to thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. Um, I, if you don't mind, I'd love to have you back on. You're you're on my uh, seat. You're the first episode of my season eight okay oh, and um yes, yes awesome. and i also made sure to feature you because i wanted um the world to hear your story for sure because i'm oh, getting thank um you. you're very welcome and i just think you're you're just amazing and so um i will definitely be in touch if that's okay and i'd love to have you on Absolutely. <laughs> have you on again <laughs> and um, i would love to Yes, yes, yes. And then uh and also I'll be on YouTube soon having my show there and I'd love to have you on. Okay. Oh yeah, that's so great.
1: I would love to. Yes.
0: Yes, yes, yes. So thank you so much, Elizabeth. This is our artist here, our activist, our survivor. She's amazing. And um thank you again and bye for now, Elizabeth. Thank you, thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Hey, there you have it, everyone. The uh, the purpose, this is From Prison to Purpose and with artist Elizabeth McTowicz. Mac- I hope I'm saying her name or I forgot to ask. Oh, But I am definitely going to have her back, and you can see why. She has a very powerful message. Um, she's had um, a lot of trauma, and out of it, she is kind of on top. She's doing amazing things, amazing, and I absolutely enjoyed listening to her, and listening to her perspective. Her answers were were just stunning, and it's nothing like having um, hands-on experience on a topic that you're speaking on, and so I absolutely appreciate her, and she was amazing, amazing. Please reach out please buy her, uh, please buy Elizabeth's uh, um, brand, it's called EPM Clothing, environmentally friendly clothing brand, all right, and um, I left the description of the link, It's in, excuse me, in my description of the show, the link is there, okay, and um, Thank you all so much for listening. I'm actually uh, running out of time right now. But thank you so much for listening to our topic, From Prison to Purpose, with artist Elizabeth Mactalwitz. All right. Thank you. Bye for now.
1: Douglas is one of many who found a new life through Seattle's Union Gospel Mission. I was living on the streets when I heard this guy talk about how he got clean and sober at the mission. So I decided to give it a try. I could feel something working inside of me, and I knew I was getting better. Today, my number one goal is to stay clean and sober.
0: And grace will lead me home. To hear
1: more, volunteer, or donate, visit UGM.org.